0: Coming up next, The Bookening continues to discuss its favorite novel of the year. It's not even a novel. It's not our favorite. It's The Doublers* by James Joyce. is completely shot fun fact about this booking, we we're recording it directly after recording some pickups for sound of sanity i was shouting at someone wasn't me who had basically ruined everything and it's sh- shot my voice a little bit but <clears throat> welcome to the booking. i'm your humble and obedient hoist uh, hoist I'm your, I'm your humble and obedient hoist um and just i'm uh, up
1: there
0: what's that just pick yourself up there <laughs> just pick myself up <laughs> like a hoist <laughs> I get it. All right, <laughs> <laughs> just going to pause for the audience to finish laughing. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: that's rich. All right, I'm just taking my watch. They're probably done now. Hey everybody, welcome to the beginning. My name is I'm your humble and obedient host. Joining you for our second episode on the Dubliners over there, we got Brandon Chastain. He's the pastor who's a master of reading. Nope. How are you doing, Brandon? No, <laughs> Nope. <laughs> you're not the master of master reading. No. You don't even have a. You have a degree in divinity. Nope. You pastor people. You care about people's souls. I mean, I care for people's souls, but I'm not a pastor. You're like a shepherd, like a pastor. You're the ma- pastor who's a no. master of reading. No. No. I think he's sitting over there. All right, over there, we got Jake Mentzel. He's the scholar who's a baller of reading. True.
1: <laughs> there you go
0: <laughs> I, I'm also the pastor As a master of reading yeah, I'll just, just bow out I'll now. just take both those this <laughs> Jake will just be Having conversations With himself Before you know it And we've got Our special guest star Whoa He just happened to be Just happened to be Passing by I didn't expect To be inducted It's it's Benjamin Solzer From Sound of Sanity How you doing Ben? I'm good Nathan How are hey, you? Hey What's Sound of Sanity If bookening fans Aren't listening to Sound of Sanity Tell them what it is
2: Oh Sound of Sanity is a show about three guys and we talk about things that make us feel insane and we attempt to provide a little bit of sanity to our listeners That's along absolutely with some, right
0: Along with some humorous stuff. There, is, there are some humorous stuffs and huh. things. Sounds very different than the book <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> That's right <clears throat> Now who do you think obviously me and Jake We're the dynamic duo, We're the dynamic yeah. duo.
1: Yeah.
0: Robin and Batman, Batman and Robin Who would be the best third to join us.
2: Join you for the sound of Santa? <laughs> or for the <laughs> No he means period, buddy. Oh this period. Oh. I think he's saying this town ain't big enough for the forest. Oh, I of see. Us. You know, I I really don't know. I think Brandon has established
1: his position with you guys long before me. Oh so he He carries
2: guns. Got a six shooter. And Brandon carries guns. Yeah, I mean, you can see it right over here.
1: (laughs) I carry these guns (laughs) right here. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) Terrified. (laughs) He flexed his muscles, folks. If you weren't able to imagine, I'm assuming you could could appropriately imagine that joke. But if you couldn't, then that's what happened. And once again, we'll pause wait for the laughter to die down that was a funny joke why am i making fun of it i'm just being a jerk i'm sitting right beside him and i couldn't see it so oh you couldn't see the guns <laughs> cuz i'm wearing a coat right oh. yeah cuz you're wearing a coat A large baggy coat that contains multitudes of muscles, just like I contain multitudes of personalities and other people contain... I I I contain multitudes. That's like a thing that someone said, right? That's a famous literary quote. Yeah, it's Walt Whitman. Walt Whitman. He contains multitudes. I'm kind of like Walt Whitman. You don't want to say you're like Walt Whitman. (laughs) Just move on. (laughs) spontaneous me um (laughs) little blade of grass (laughs) (laughs) see these are the kind of literary jokes we make on the bookening ben i wouldn't expect you to understand what we're talking about obviously i don't but i'm laughing anyway (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of your job (laughs) all right ben we're gonna let you get out of here but first you're gonna help us with donor shout outs you ever heard about donor shout outs i have yeah i love donuts oh ben you love donuts (laughs) Who <laughs> oh, did you say, donors? <laughs> uh, okay, I, yeah, donors. Donors, I, I got it now. Yes. Okay, now we'll pause for <laughs> exactly one person to stop laughing, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> um, We have donors, and they pay us money, and if they pay enough money, then we shout them out. You want to help us shout them out just for fun and kicks and giggles? I would. Well, why don't you shout out Rhonda and Robert, the lovebirds? Rhonda and Robert. The lovebirds. That wasn't much of a shout out. Bet it has to be a shout out. Oh, okay. Rhonda and Robert, the lovebirds. All right. And Jake, why don't you shout out John and Jill, the lovebirds, and Max, their son. John and Jill, the lovebirds, and Max, their son. And Brandon, I'm sure you'll want to shout out Beth, the beloved mother of our beloved host. Beth, the beloved mother of our beloved host. You guys just both got owned, shout out wise. (laughs) That was, nah. that was a shout-out.
1: I'm kind of okay with that. <laughs> All
0: right. Ben, this is your chance to show yourself to be the true third member of the dynamic duo. I,
2: I don't see how that's possible mathematically, but I'll, I'd love to try.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do it, let's hear it for Maya. Maya. Huh. <laughs> Jake, do you want to maybe do the Maya one? So.
1: No, no. Uh,
0: well, you <laughs> I'm just can... going to let that one ride. So you can do Jay and Katie from Madison who are cold and love cheese. Jay and Katie from Madison who
1: are cold and
0: love cheese. It's like Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Come <Remember> on down. <laughs> you can do your best Saturday Night Live for Mr. Benjamin Tiberius. Mr. Benjamin Tiberius. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, Ben Sulzer, you do Nathan, not Nathan nathan not nathan <laughs> and uh we got eric and katherine the lovebirds wait, wait
1: didn't and... didn't I said them
0: no you sure no, no we, did, yeah, we did jill and, oh, done, uh, and there's, okay. there's more than one set of lovebirds which by the way well yeah Jay we've and katie, already, done two of them we know you're lovebirds too Jane and katie we understand but you're also from wisconsin and you love cheese and uh you're, you're cold. cold so you know but not cold-hearted <laughs> but not cold-hearted but you but we understand you're the lovebirds too we don't want to so, who, who is this? Eric and Catherine, Eric, the lovebirds. Eric and Catherine, the lovebirds. And finally, I need all three of you guys to give a big booking shout out <laughs> for our good old friend, Dr. X.
2: Dr. Dr.
0: X! I thought it was <laughs> Professor X. It is. I'm sorry. <laughs> I suck. Why do you do that? Well, I didn't mean to. My brain played a trick on me. All right, let's do a booking shout out for Professor X, please. Professor, Professor X! <laughs> all right ben get out of here all right nathan i will there can be only one and for the booking, it's brandon but Uh, hey i'll see you over on sound of sanity next tuesday nice awesome we'll be talking about something it'll be awesome and fun and cool and people should listen
1: christmas man
0: no christmas yeah christmas oh yeah that's what's coming that's what's coming yeah all (laughs) righty now get out bye Bye, guys goodbye ben Bye, Ben. Well, folks, that was a fun interlude, but now we have to talk about the Dubliners. (laughs) 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 Here's what I want to say about the Dubliners. Have we already gotten through all the stuff? Yeah, I don't think we did it. We never did our baggage, did we? Yeah, we did our baggage. Did we? We did our baggage. Yeah, I think, surely some thought he talked about baggage. I don't remember talking about my The airplane went over. We did baggage. Here's what I want to say, Brandon, about these Dubliners. What about them? You said that James Joyce basically invented the epiphany, right? He's Mr. Epiphany guy. Mister, He thinks he's so cool because he invented the epiphany. He right?
2: at least popularized it, Nathan.
0: And the epiphany is what again? It's that moment at the end
2: of the story where this character has a moment of self-understanding
0: and revelation. What's a famous example from a thing that everybody knows?
2: Well, and what most of our listeners might know, mm-hmm. a good man is hard to find at the end where the grandmother is about to be killed by the misfit. Mm-hmm. She reaches out and tries to touch him and says, why, you could have been one of my own sons. Mm-hmm. And then she shoots. She I mean, doesn't shoot him, he shoots her. <laughs> she shoot and she shoots him. <laughs> she shoots him dead. This is my revisionist history of- A <laughs> good man is hard to find. It'll soon help. be outed. That would be bookstores. <laughs> would bookstores reading that next year. Uh, From the history of the bookening, another one would be at the end of Anna Karenina, right before she throws herself under the train. Yeah. She has that bright moment of epiphany where she realizes maybe she didn't want to do this. Yeah. And then she has no choice after that.
0: I'm pretty good friends with a police officer. And he says it's very sad how many suicides obviously regretted regretted. in the moment. Anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. But you don't want to have those epiphanies too late, and just don't commit suicide, folks. That's what I'm trying to say. What were we talking about? Oh, epiphanies. And so the famous epiphanies in the dead, in, or in the dead, it's the whole story is leading up to the epiphany where he realizes his wife had a lover before him, and every I, how do I know anyone, and am yeah. I blah blah blah. So there's that. But for Mr. Epiphany, man, I don't know how many. What I'm getting to is as I read this story. I honestly, I'll just confess, I'm not well-versed in James Joyce. I did not know that he was famous for the epiphany, but Mm -hmm. I was aware that an epiphany was a thing that happened in a short story. And I kept thinking, where are the epiphanies? Man, if this had some epiphanies, it would sure be good. Yeah. Yeah. I realize our listeners are going to say like, well, what about this story? What about that story?
2: Well, you'd have two counter
0: arguments. They would either say,
2: what about this? Because you do have it in some places. I can't remember any of the names of the stories. Let's
0: see. What's the one about the gamblers? Yeah, where he's in the car and he's getting drunk.
2: After the race? Yeah. That's, that's got a nice epiphany to it. Let's find it. It's page 43. And it's not necessarily that the uh, characters have the epiphany themselves. It mm. can be an epiphany for the reader too. Okay. So he knew that he would regret in the morning, but at present he was glad of the rest. Glad of the dark stupor that would cover up his folly. He leaned his elbows on the table and rested his head between his hands, counting the beats of his temples. The cabin door opened and he saw the Hungarian standing in a shaft of gray light. Daybreak, gentlemen. And that's the last line. And so here's this guy. He's wasted all his fortune in one night, at least a lot of his money in one night. He doesn't want day to come. He just wants to rest, let his drunken stupor pass over him. And then you have the door open and it's this guy saying it's daybreak. So it's a nice little sharp poetic moment at the end of the story.
0: It's a nice sharp poetic moment, I guess. I don't know, what am I trying to say? What what I'm actually doing is leading to what I actually thought about these stories and what we, let's like, what did you guys think about these stories is the question I'm getting to here. And I'm starting by saying what I thought was Joyce's profound mistrust of humanity To learn or better itself or find any kind of redemptive anything and anything that happens to itself wore on me and was pretty obnoxious and made most of the stories feel pointless with the exception of the two stories we're going to spend most of our time talking about, which are Araby and the dead. But like the sisters, remembering someone who died is hard. That's the one about the priest that died Mm -hmm. encounter. It's like, we met a creepy old man. It was creepy evelyn the woman's going to flee with the sailor and then she doesn't because she's trapped because actually it turns out whatever so maybe there's an epiphany for me which is that humanity sucks and we're all trapped by our own demons and life is hard but man that got old after story after story that's kind of how i felt about the dubliners
1: he said his mistrust i was gonna fill in the word with disdain Mm -hmm. that's a better Um, word I don't I don't understand why he's writing except read his own words on a page. He doesn't seem to care about anybody or like anybody. Yeah. It's just he he doesn't like his characters, he doesn't like people, he kinda seems to hate everybody and he seems to especially hate Dublin. Right. Like Dublin and all of its people are a cursed lot of miserable wretches who can't escape the horror of their own circumstances. Like that's the only point I feel like I can draw from each of these stories.
2: Yeah. Well he did hate Dublin. He did leave (laughs) Dublin. (laughs) So I think that you're picking up on something that he actually felt.
1: Well I mean, you know, I didn't know that backstory before you you gave it, but I think Nathan and I talked about it beforehand. It was just like
0: I what I actually said to you, if Joyce is right then I hate Dublin, too. Mm-hmm. Like, these people are ugly. and Yeah,
1: and what I said in response to you is I just, I refuse to believe it. I just think that Joyce hates, he just hates everybody.
0: And you said, I sir, I give you, and you didn't say it in these words, but you said, sir, I give you uh, Seamus Heaney. I don't know what else you said. You had another good one up your sleeve. Like, here's why the whole Irish character actually doesn't suck based on C.S. Lewis. Was he originally Irish?
1: Oh, <laughs> I know it. I gave you. I gave, I gave you an Irish character.
0: Oh, did you? Oh, you gave me, uh, yes, our favorite. Um, from Sam. Sam. East <clears throat> of Eden. Steinbeck. From East of Eden. Oh, yeah. yeah Sam. Yeah, yeah. What's his He's name? He's a good old Irishman. He's a good old Irishman. Sam, Samuel Hamilton. Sam yeah. Hamilton.
2: Yeah. What I felt reading him was, this is a young man, and he was pretty young when he wrote mm-hmm. these. He was in his 20s still. He was discovering his art. I don't think that many people actually write anything good in their 20s. Yeah usually experimenting and becoming the writer they will be in their 30s. Mm -hmm. So you see, for example, you see that with Bradbury, Mm -hmm. right? So Fahrenheit 451 is not his greatest work, but you see him working out what would eventually become Bradbury, the artist and the great writer. And so with James Joyce, the tragedy I think is that he could have become something really good. Yeah. Had he found some sort of hope and love for humanity, but Ulysses and all that, he just is what Jake was picking up on with him is that he just loved the sound of his own Writing voice, Mm
0: -hmm. he just
2: really, really liked the fact, like
0: kind of like Hemingway. Yeah, he really liked to read his own prose. I like to read their both of those men's prose too, but but
2: it's cold. It is cold. Yeah, it's heartless. There are some stories that get at a kernel of something, Mm -hmm. like the the story about the father after he goes home and he yells at the baby. Yeah,
0: is that the same story where he punches out his boss and then goes and gets drunk? Is that the same guy? No, that's the guy. That guy's gonna cane his kid. Okay. Yeah.
2: I'll say the. I'll Mary say Mary Mary for your father. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pa. oh pa. <laughs> It's the guy, he goes and his friend comes back and he's oh, successful, yeah. that successful journalist. Mm-hmm. My little man, my little yeah. man.
0: Yeah. He's just insanely jealous of his friend the whole and time. And he thinks
2: he could be a poet. And, yeah. and he really
0: wants to be a poet. Mm-hmm.
2: And
1: but he goes home and he's got this nagging
2: wife. So she leaves and leaves him with the baby. And says, just don't wake the baby up. And then the baby wakes up. And then just his epiphany is, he's a horrible person. Right. Like how could, and every father has felt that moment. Just it's not just all butterflies and rainbows when holding a screaming baby. Is it not? No. Sometimes, Sometimes you have you thoughts pass through your head that make you realize how horribly wicked
0: you are. Yep. I figure none of that will happen if I ever have a baby. No, you won't. I figure I'll just... Just be Barney
2: and nail it. Thomas
0: the Tank. Engine yep. The whole time. <laughs> so that to say, so he did have some awareness of human psychology. Well, he's a great observationist if that's that's a word right a word yeah yeah like everything in this in these stories is well observed down to the way that the people behave
1: the details are good
0: yeah the details of the psychology are good i mean he knows himself he knows people i assume a lot of what he's describing with the young men characters especially like the gentleman the guy that you just talked about who's jealous of his friend Mm -hmm. is stuff that joyce had felt like oh i'm 10 times the talent that this guy is, but he's really popular for some reason. What's going on? Do you think or, that's, or that's what Joyce felt? I'm reading into it wildly here, but I'm sure he'd had that moment in his life somewhere or other. Or the story about the conniving mother who allows the guy to basically sleep with her daughter and then sets it all up and it gets a good little match for her daughter. Or the other story about the mother that ruins things for her daughter with... The theater thing. The, the whole theater story. Those are well-observed stories of human nature and of how people behave and shoot themselves in the foot, there's just no compassion. For any, yeah. I mean, it's not supposed to be sad. I don't think some of them are, perhaps, but like I keep thinking about the Coen Brothers and the Coen Brothers, especially their early work, is just about how stupid people are. And the Coen Brothers are really condescending in a movie like Fargo or, or any of their great movies. You know, it's about stupid people doing stupid things and punishing themselves through their own stupidity. The Coen Brothers movies are really entertaining, and I, I tend to like them because they approach it with. Irony and it's funny, and you're allowed to take a, enough of a step back from it that you can see the whole cartoon that is human nature at its worst. But here it's dour and humorless, and it's like, what am I actually supposed to get out of this? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, is that an unfair question? To I, I want to give Joyce due credit; he's doing something, and he's doing it well, I suppose. But man, I had he's trouble. painting
1: what he thinks is a very realistic picture of Dublin that is. Really bleak and nasty. I don't actually. I'm not sure. I believe what I just said because I, I almost, especially knowing the history, want to. I'm not. I'm not going to be able to to think of it as being less than vindictive.
0: Feels but like that, he's settling scores with people. Yeah, he knew those that conniving mother, and he wanted to. Yeah, he's just, He's just gonna. gonna yeah,
1: that's what I really suspect is he's just like being nasty and attacking people, the city in general, and. Real people that he knew, and this is my "I hate you."
0: What's the difference between something like what he's doing and something like our beloved, my beloved Jane Austen, who obviously probably knew most of the characters that she makes fun of in exaggerated form, and she's probably settling some scores and doing justice on the page? What could never happen in real life? Why do we say, "Yeah, Jane Austen, go get him." But Joyce were like, ugh.
1: First of all, I'm not sure I'm willing to give that, uh, that Jane was settling scores with people, but. Me neither. Um, <laughs> to
0: get it back is a dumb question. But, <clears throat> but, but she's painting human nature based on real observations, and she's painting yeah, but it sometimes she, in a very bleak way.
1: Seems to me there's always, even in the most awful characters, there's some compassion. And they're in contrast to heroes and good people, And so when there is somebody who's singled out, who gets what's coming to them, it's in a context where there's hope and joy and humor in life. And this is humorless, bleak. There is no redemption. There is no good. There is no, it's just stupid people get what they deserve.
2: It's not even if they get what they deserve. I don't know if many of the characters get anything, right?
1: Yeah, they just sort of, stupid people, they're just spinning
2: their
0: wheels. Stupid yeah. people are trapped by their own stupidity. So it's not like there's,
2: there's not the, so the Cohen brothers are more like Flannery O'Connor because they're stupid people, but they get just, just kind of a divine. There's yeah some sort of weird thing that happens in the narrative where the author is not like a deus ex machina, yeah. but in Flannery, Something O'Connor. in the story happens to judge the character. There's a
1: hand of providence. Yeah. that is... is with Flannery and in, in, yeah. in O'Connor, and in the Coen brothers, is that you feel that sort of sense that providential hand guiding the story.
0: It may be and different providence. Like in yeah. Flannery, it's the hand of really just Catholic God that she believed in. In the Coen brothers, it's the providential hand of the Coen brothers who are kind of laughing at us and
1: right. But in in Joyce, it's the cold cosmos.
0: That's right. And the author gives it meaning
2: by pulling out some symbolism here and there for us. And so you do have – and he's he's the one who sees how Catholicism has ruined Ireland, mm-hmm. has made it where everybody's paralyzed and can't act. And so maybe he has sympathy for them, but you get the sense that it's more just a Wes Anderson character or something. Mm-hmm. One of those – like Bill Murray's character from the Royal Tenenbaums is – Is that where he plays a psychiatrist? Yeah. Where he can see everybody's failings, but he's just so sad he doesn't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the one character you really get fully fleshed out for us and you feel that James Joyce kind of sympathizes with is Gabriel. But that's because
0: he is Gabriel. Gabriel and the dead. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I began to lose hope in this book around the time of, well, it was the second story, really, the encounter where two boys just run into a lewd old man who i think exposes himself to them although it's not really clear and then you don't know what happens you don't really know what happens but he's obviously a pervert and that story was actually really effective in making me feel uncomfortable like oh yeah. this is a good story about two boys that play hooky and run into a dirty old man but to what end and that's and that's that's the first time i asked that question in reading. okay what was was i supposed to okay good job joyce you evoked that scene really well i felt Really uncomfortable, like exactly how I would have felt if I was a 12-year-old and I ran into a dirty old man. Now what? I mean...
1: that, that's it.
2: Well, <clears throat> that is the, that is the story. story
0: that ends though where Mahoney, he runs towards him
2: when he calls to him mm-hmm. and he has that line, he ran as if bringing me aid and I was penitent for in my heart I had always despised him a little. That mm-hmm. was a nice little that cap, a nice, nice yeah. cap there at the
0: end. Yeah, I don't want to be too black and white about this because some of the stories, like the one about the man that had the affair with the woman- did he actually consummate the affair with her, or did he no, call it off? No. Had to she touched his cheek, and he was a gentleman. He ended it. it. Yeah, and he then he feels it. like he's basically killed her because he condemned her to a life of...
1: Only after feeling very... Uh, self-righteous. self-righteous. Self-righteous and
2: proud of himself about... Whatever. Well, he felt disdained for her that her death was so ugly, too. Right.
1: And then how had he ever mixed himself up as someone so low?
2: I mean, he could have been a Flannery O'Connor character. Yeah. Just she would have ended up having like some dove shaped icicle pierce his skull or something. <laughs> Who knows what? Yeah. I
0: th- <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel a little, I don't know. I feel a little naked being this hard on Joyce because I don't know. I feel like people would probably say, well, what did you expect? You know, I mean, you think that every one of these stories has some big moral, some big lesson. No, that's not what I'm saying. No. I just don't get the impression that what? I, here, I mean, this is what it comes down to
1: for me. I didn't care. I didn't want to read the next story. Mm-hmm. I never wanted, finished a story. One time, one time I finished a story and thought, oh, I want to read the next story. Mm-hmm. And that was when I read Araby, that's it. And this is a book of short stories. It's short and it was the toughest log of anything that we'd have done all year long, including Anna Karenina, which is 850 pages. Heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness. Which is dense paragraphs. Heart of Darkness words. was a joy compared to. <laughs> oh yeah. Absolutely it was a joy. And I turned around like, and it was like, you know, I had worked myself ahead and I was excited about Dubliners cause it was short stories and short stories are fun and easy. And I was just gonna keep flying on, Is like I hit a brick wall. Mm-hmm. And man, I, I I lost my taste for reading. Wow. You know, that's uh, really <laughs> I like. Agree. I. I just didn't care. I didn't want I wanted to do anything but sit down in the evening and read this another short story and slog through another one. You know, I finally finished and I turned around and I picked up Till We Have Faces and I devoured it in two days. Why? Because, (laughs) I don't know, Lewis, like, loves the story he's telling and he loves the characters he's created and it's fun and he's a good writer. In the, not like, he's not sophisticated like Joyce.
2: Well, he doesn't think that he's the high artist that Joyce thinks he is.
1: Mm. He's not trying to be. He's and just trying to tell a story. Yeah. And and that's where we always always come down on, on this show is give us a good storyteller. If you if you got a good story and you're excited about the story and the characters and you can communicate the story to us, give us Bradbury. Yeah. Give us Steinbeck. Steinbeck, and we'll forgive you for being purple in your prose and or having low style or whatever it is. Mm. But I just can't, like, I, I find it hard to forgive something like yeah, this. Yeah, I
2: tried to be a, in a in the last year I was in grad school, I tried to be a part of this reading group that was doing Ulysses, and I went to one meeting. And it was a profe- two professors and a bunch of grad students, and it was basically the, them sitting around trying to prove to one another two things. One that they really loved the style, and they understood how wonderful the style was. Yes, yes, everybody, the style is wonderful. Don't you see how beautiful the style is? And the other point was, and we can get all the illusions, and look how smart he was, and he's a very clever guy. And that's what Joyce was, and he, you can see it here. He was a brilliant student. He was very proud, and he ended up writing stuff that matched that. Every sentence is perfectly tuned. You know, no, no word is really out of place. It's very well balanced. It's beautiful sounding, but he doesn't mix that with the other things that you need, which is the compassion to really have a great story. Like with a poet, you want them to have real empathy for human feeling for a novelist. You want them to have real compassion for the people they're writing about. And so why know why Tolstoy and Austin are the greatest novelists we've read is because they have every bit of talent that Joyce has when it comes to prose writing, but they also have the compassion Yeah, Mm -hmm. and they can tell a yarn as well. You get those three things together and you have a, masterpiece
0: yeah well I, I i don't think i mentioned this on the last episode i hope i didn't did i talk about the f- what carl young actually said about james joyce no i don't think so you didn't mention yeah i knew they were but i think you said that you'd come back to it right well here yeah. i come carl young wrote this about ulysses specifically but i think it applies here too what is so staggering about Ulysses is the fact that behind a thousand veils, nothing lies hidden, that it turns neither toward the mind nor toward the world, but as cold as the moon looking on from cosmic space allows the drama of growth, being, and decay to pursue its course. That's what Carl Young said, and I think that... Sums up how I felt. I've not read Ulysses, but I think it sums up a lot of how I felt about Dubliners. There's no particular compassion for these characters. And for me, I think that's the, that was certainly the breath of fresh air about coming to Till We Have Faces. Immediately, yeah. you realize C.S. Lewis has, and we'll be talking about this next month, but C.S. Lewis has compassion for his character. He loves the fox. The fox is based on some great scholar that he loved. And you can just feel warmth coming from that book. He's excited about telling you, I don't know why Joyce wanted to tell any of these stories Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know what was interesting it's like he chose them at random. it's like he had a dartboard of all the experiences of his life and he just threw darts oh one time i saw a dirty old man oh one time i got drunk and this happened it's like why does any of this matter you're not giving me you don't it's not that it has to have a moral it's not that it has to have a didactic point but there has to be a reason that i read it it has to have done something for me even if it it just had to make me feel like the cohen brothers they don't particularly teach me anything besides that people are stupid but at least they make me feel suspense or they make me laugh at my own stupidity, at the stupidity of these other people. You know, it's like Joyce isn't...
2: Or sorrow, I mean... Or sorrow, yeah. In no country for old men, you feel sorrow for, what is this, Llewellyn and
0: the girl? Yeah, Llewellyn, Llewellyn and the girl. Yeah, the girl. Yeah, yeah, sorrow. And that's what I kind of expected from these stories because they are so sad. They're about people yeah. trapped by... The past, trapped by guilt, trapped by shame, trapped by these different things, but you're not really given a way into that, you know? Maybe you bring some of that and you feel sad for this or that story, but you don't get the impression that Joyce ever felt all that Mm -hmm. sad. No, it's because he
2: wasn't. I don't think he was very sad for them. With an author, so he's trying to be very, this is realism, he's trying to distance himself because he felt like that's how you make high art. But if you're going to have an ultimate, uh, like someone who's really rigidly realist like that, where he's completely trying to take himself out of the storytelling. Mm -hmm. So Steinbeck, he doesn't take himself out of the storytelling. He's all over his story. Mm -hmm. And so is Dickens and guys, you know, Austin in a way is not at all either. She's very much, her voice is there. Tolstoy, his voice is there, but he's still trying to be a realist, but he has the compassion for his characters Mm -hmm. there.
0: I think that's the, I was just thinking about the difference between, because Tolstoy is so much of a realist in what he gives you. All he gives you all the materials. It's it's like you're watching a movie or you're just transported in time or something when you read yeah. Tolstoy. Similar to what Joyce does with his prose, but Tolstoy has such compassion and empathy for everyone, everyone in his stories, whether it's the count, whether it's the seducer, whether it's Anna's stupid brother, whether it's Anna's husband, whether it's Anna herself, whether it's yeah. um everybody. You know, there's got to be at least I want to say over 20 characters that we just are, maybe it's just 10, but if it's 10, then that's Ten more than you know, we get in a lot of books you know where we're just we suddenly know them and we know how they feel and we feel what they feel and it's, mm-hmm. it's, that, it's that it's that way with war and peace too mm-hmm. you have like
2: a cast of 50 characters and you feel for each and every one of them even the small characters get like this moment that captures who they are and Tolstoy was able to work with symbolism as well and have that a lot of people praise the symbolism in this but that doesn't make it a great work of art and so with Joyce, T.S. Eliot was writing at the exact same time. Um, Ulysses was published in 1922. Wasteland was published in 1922. Both kind of worthless, just modernist artifacts, really not worth reading. T.S. Eliot went the opposite direction, though, and he actually became warmer and because he became a Christian. Mm-hmm. And hmm. so some of his later poetry, some of his, his best poems is his Possum's Book of Practical Cats sure. for kids. It's amazing. It's really fun to read to your kids. My kids love mm-hmm. to read it out loud. And so, you guys all go see the musical,
0: cats. You sing oh, songs yeah. along. You dress in glitter. You dress in you glitter. Put on a and cat tails. Tail. Yeah. <laughs> cavity, my cavity. It's actually, I no hate one. the fact that that's based on T.S. Eliot's <laughs> book. I really hate that why fact. Why did they do that?
2: Why did <laughs> Andrew funny fact, do Funny fact, you guys know my dad. <laughs> yeah. That's the only musical he's ever gone
0: to see. <laughs> I could and see he, why he would never go to He anything. hated it. Now, of course he did. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Poor guy. Of course he never saw another one. I'm sorry, what were you saying? Oh, so that's the trajectory. Yeah. Lewis, not Lewis, a
2: T.S. The Eliot Lewis went. went on. Yeah. And then he wrote some fun plays like Murder in the Cathedral. Mm-hmm. And then, but Ulysses, James Joyce just went further up.
0: <laughs> up I creek. I can't say up that. Up and,
2: uh, further up, up into, into his head. head. I mean, yeah.
1: What? There are, a thousand metaphors for James Joyce, and none of them are appropriate for yeah. a family-friendly podcast.
0: But we can say, you know what they are, folks. Yeah. You know what they are. You know what they so, are. So
2: the last point I was going to make then, along with that metaphor I can't say, Right. the character that he is the most like is the perverted old man. He is an exhibitionist with his work. Because yeah. all his writing is just about himself. It's just like, look. Very self-involved. Yeah. And that is what you never want with good art. You mm-hmm. don't want the author to be self-involved. That's the problem with Hemingway, too,
0: is he was just over there drinking his wine and like, look at me, I'm amazing. <laughs> 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 but Hemingway, at least, like, is kind of amazing. I mean, he Hemingway is, was a kind but, of a manly guy with the... He was a jerk, but his bravado is its own entertainment, at least. It's kind of fun. but, but at it, it gets fun. But I it mean, gets tiresome. It, it does get very tiresome. Because
2: T.S. Eliot became good when he f- began to forget about T.S. Eliot. Like The Lord of the Rings, it's good because Tolkien didn't care about Tolkien. He just cared about the world he was creating. Yeah. Right? Yep. That's my thesis is that he's very, very self-involved. He's a narcissist, mm-hmm. and that just makes for a bad artist.
0: Well, he knows himself very well and, and so very, gabriel is well drawn yeah he, he's he's and he's not afraid to use himself in a way that i i, I want to say like the word pornographic but that's not quite right but it's like when you said exhibit exhi- exhibitionist i think that's right james joyce has an almost bad lack of shame about just like a good writer i think will draw the line somewhere in terms of how deep he explores his own wretchedness it's jake's august augustine thing folks You can listen to... What was that? What episode was that? Look at the carcass. Oh, you can listen to our Milhauser part two. That's what it was. Uh, That's a really good episode of the book by the way. Nice discussion of art. If you skip that one because you don't care about Milhauser or whatever, Jake had some nice things to say in that one. Um, You should go back and listen to it. Thanks. Okay. There are two stories that we did like in this. Right, guys? Yeah. The first one was Ulysses, or no, crap. <laughs> Freudian slip, not even a Freudian slip because it's reveal it's nothing about me, um, just a slip. Uh, the first one was Araby. Yep. Yeah,
1: I liked Araby when I read it.
0: Why'd you like Araby, Jake?
1: I could probably convince myself to hate it now, mm-hmm. having it in context. I just thought it was super evocative. It, it took me back to when I was, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years old, and you're starting to really crush on on a girl or something like that, and you have these...
0: I guess I should in case people haven't read it, Araby, which, by the way, spoiler alert, don't bother reading any of the devilers, probably, except for the dead in Araby, maybe. But I guess we'll decide that at the end. But if you haven't read it, what, what, what happens in Araby? It's about a boy who's... Probably about... It's
1: been so long since I've read it. But yeah, he's probably, you know, he's probably, what, 12 or 14 years, between 12 and 14. He's young and he's crushing on a girl. Crushing
0: hard on the neighbor girl, Um, a little bit older than him.
1: He really wants to go to this market and buy something cool and special for her. And he's pestering his mom and dad about it and pestering and pestering and pestering them. They're putting it off. They don't really care or see how important it is to him personally because he's so focused on doing this thing. Uh, finally dad's like oh yeah 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 that thing I forgot you know and he's like runs and gets on does he get on a train I don't remember whatever it takes him he gets gets there basically at closing time and he has to rush around and try to find something and can't find the right thing and then he realizes he's just not gonna be able to pull it off and it's frustrating and Sad and yeah, um, I've had that exact experience multiple times. I feel
0: like at least of as a kid, you had that experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I and I think it's been uh, wanting to buy something neat or cool or special for a girl, for a girlfriend, or some girl I was crushing on. And it'd be like a Tuesday or Thursday night. Tuesdays and Thursday nights, we went to visit with my mom. And that was like from 5.30 to 8 o'clock. We had this window of time. Sometimes I could convince her to take us to the mall if we had time or something like that. And that's when I would try to do something like that because my dad would never be on board with that. But mom would let me run the mall. And it just evoked all these feelings of like 12 to 13 to 14-year-old romantic Jake who's going to go into Claire's and find a necklace or Mm -hmm. earrings or something that was kind of, you know, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what it was, but just that frustration of Mm -hmm. that anxiety of we're running out of time. I have this thing I want to do. I really care. I want to try and then, you know, it just never really. It doesn't work. Yeah. Working and nobody really cares and feels the pressure that you feel. And I hadn't felt those feelings in a long time, you know, he nailed it. That was kind of fun in a very painful sort of way, but it was just Oh yeah, I remember that guy. That was miserable. What an <laughs> awful time of life. I would never want yeah. to live that over again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that I am now happily married with children <laughs> and not yep. 12 to 14 years old and full of romantic angst. But I thought then I you know after that's like the third second or third story in the in the book, right? Mm-hmm. The third. And so I thought, well, man, if he if he can do that and keep kind of doing that for me and evoking some of these childhood memories or feelings.
2: Then it'd be worth it. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then, you know, then you just come to realize he doesn't actually care about that boy. He thinks that boy's stupid.
2: He saw himself as a creature driven and derided by vanity. <laughs> Eyes burned with anguish and anger. Yeah, he's just like that kid's... <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah. He,
1: it is right like it is how you you feel so stupid mm, like you just yeah. feel this is all so stupid I'm so stupid yeah and you're right about everything the, I'm trying to do this is so stupid what's wrong with me yeah. even if I had come up with a perfect what was I gonna do was it mm-hmm. really gonna work it was what's and the details like, are
2: all good too because he goes into the one shot well the lights are already going off in all the other stalls so it's already growing dark inside this big warehouse where he's in and then he goes to the one stall that's like still open and the teenage girl is over there flirting with the boys and doesn't want to pay him any mind she's irritated that she has to wait on him yeah but also kind of worried that he might be shoplifting and Mm -hmm. so he's trying to look like and so you can just feel it the tension's there so he's he actually really is good at the dramatic narrative tension when he wants to be yeah And I mean, that's the dead is all over the dead. Right. It's just slowly building this whole party and then all these foolish characters and some of them not foolish, but the closest he gets to sympathy too is for those ants. I think he doesn't hate the ants. For the three
0: ants, yeah. 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 Who are definitely based on real people per my limited research. Yeah, I think it's like if, if Joyce was just a man that was plucking random things from his experience and just turning them, transforming them into art for whatever purpose he thought he was achieving, Araby's the one that probably most people that read the book, most men I imagine would just connect with. I don't think that Joyce cared anything more for it than the others or meant anything more for it, but it certainly strikes a chord. I hated it actually for that reason. Maybe it's because I'm not happily married with kids, but I have absolutely no desire to relive that part of my life. I hate everything about myself from that age and and those experiences like yeah. the experience of like being in love and it meaning all this i mean that i just like ugh. if i met joyce i would punch him in the kidneys specifically for writing araby among his many other sins because <laughs> it just i just like it's it's great it's well evoked but for me it's like yeah you also evoke that child molester real well too great good job <laughs> good on you now what I realize I'm being nasty, though. It's a great... It's a good story. I understand why people like it. I just... For me, it was painful to read. I read... It is painful.
1: Mm -hmm. If I weren't so far removed... Right. Then I... I Probably would hate that story, too.
0: I feel decently far removed. Most of the time, I I feel pretty sectioned off from that part of my life. I try not to think about it. But then James Joyce comes along and he's like, remember when you sucked and everything sucked and girls were pretty and older than you and you really wanted one? Remember that? It's like he's poking me with a stick. Stop. And then also telling you, you still suck. Right. (laughs) By the way, (laughs) (laughs) still suck. We all suck. Yeah. Anything else to say about Araby? No. Well, the other story, the one that I really liked, and, and Jake was having a little trouble getting through the book, as he said. I think we all had a little trouble getting through this book. And Jake said, oh, man, and I and give me some motivation. And I said, R- you got to get to the end of the dead. It's worth it. It's actually worth the whole stupid book because the dead is actually, as it turns out, a great story. And I stand by that. Maybe James Joyce only wrote one thing in his life that lived up to the promise that he had, but it's the dead, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's because it's... Uh... Irish yeah it's
2: about loss and death and sadness
0: and Mm -hmm. ghosts and yeah it's just Irish. The whole thing's wonderful. It reminds me a little bit of the opening hour or whatever of The Godfather where you're just at the, before all the mafia stuff, yeah. where you're just at the wedding and you're just observing the kind of Italian culture and the Godfather's in his office talking to people and you're seeing all these different little vignettes and it just reminds you of every drunken party that you've ever had with your family So, and all the different characters, and all the different relationships. So there's that, which is something that Tolstoy was really good at too, those kinds of party scenes. He was yep. always good at, but... The details are good there. Oh, they're perfect.
1: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had trouble at the beginning, but that was because I had, didn't have... You'd lost all trust. In, I'd lost trust and hope that he was going to deliver anything. Right. And so it was just more we we get started with gabriel being this painfully self-conscious self-aware and uh, incapable of managing himself absolutely
0: accidentally has an awkward moment with the maid and then is, it's, is kicking himself wife, and like you know. saying the wrong thing or something and yeah and then but then he can't manage to take those observations
1: and turn them into anything good mm. yeah
2: it's like the awkward moment he has in the
1: dance
0: yeah with that one girl yeah Oh, where they...
1: Doesn't quite know how to read her. And yeah, like, yeah, she's
0: just trying to have some fun with him,
2: but... He's too self-conscious. Yeah. and
0: I was surprised that he pulled off the speech, by the way. Like, yeah. so the whole time, he's like misreading people for most of the story. He misreads everyone, but then he somehow manages to... I don't know if there's any point to this, really, but he somehow manages to give a good speech that everybody... Well, claps. He's in his element. It's words and stuff that he's prepared and written. That's what he's... And
1: everybody wants to applaud him, and everybody's yeah. had a few drinks, and...
0: For people who haven't read The Dead, what's the story of the dead? Jake, what's what what, what happens? Spoiler, full full spoilers ahead.
1: Dude goes to a party with his wife. You know, it's an Irish party, so everybody's gonna get good and liquored up and they're gonna dance. And it's a lot of family. It's winter and it's snowing, and he's gotta give a speech in honor of the hostesses who are two aunts and a n- cousin or in- think so. Of his, yeah. yeah. And he's an and- intellectual and he's an intellectual, and he's very self-conscious about that, and about himself, and about everything else. And then his
2: wife's a, like a poor country girl, or something, right?
1: She's exactly lower an station. Approved yeah. match. Or she's definitely like, that.
0: like his wife is embarrassing him at a couple of key places. She just yeah. she's saying the wrong thing. She's making fun of the galoshes, whatever. She's just like she's not playing her part like she's supposed to.
1: Maybe she's uppity instead of a poor country girl. There comes a point in the evening where a guy that they've been badgering to sing because this is a very musical family, he ends up being overheard singing in another room. And he sees his wife on the staircase, and she's stopped, and she's listening. And suddenly, she looks beautiful. He starts to imagine this whole interior thing that's going on inside of her, and he gets transported to their honeymoon in these beautiful, warm, very tolstoy kind of sentiments of... Like with Levin and, and and Kitty when they were you know getting married or whatever, and it, it gets really sweet and really bright. He's he's just enjoying his wife and loving her, and he sees. Love in her eyes, a romantic thing going on. And he's got all of these ideas and he can't wait to get back to the hotel. He's going to make love to her and it's going to be sweet and awesome. And it's going to be like their honeymoon again. And, you know, things had been dull and drab. And, and suddenly, you know, all this stuff happens. And then they, they get back to the hotel and something's wrong and can't figure out what. And he's trying not to be frustrated. He's going to try to move her along and then finally gets her to talk. And then she starts telling him about this lover that she had that she was reminded of by this song. And then he realizes everything he saw, he imagined and made up. this is about this dude that she was in love with
0: who died. Or more specifically, that was in love with her. We don't really know... Eh the truth exactly about yeah. how far it went or how much he reciprocated. But we do know this guy stood outside the rain when he was sick because he had to come see her and then he died shortly thereafter.
1: Yeah. And there is our protagonist at the end with the snow falling, realizing that there was somebody lying cold in a grave who had died for this woman that he's married to. And you have this sort of very... Sorry, still haven't come up with a better word for it. Wistful Mm -hmm. sentiment that you're left with. Brandon, you got to open and read the... Since we're spoiling it, you
2: might as well read how it ends. That's what I was going to say. The whole last paragraph? Yeah, why not? A few light taps upon the pane made him turn to the window. It had begun to snow again. He watched sleepily the flakes, silver and dark, falling obliquely against the lamplight. The time had come for him to set out on his journey westward. Yes, the newspapers were right. Snow was general all over Ireland. It was falling on every part of the dark central plain, on the treeless hills, falling softly upon the bog of Allen, and farther westward, softly falling into the dark, mutinous Shannon waves. It was falling, too, upon every part of the lonely churchyard, on the hill where Michael Fury lay buried. It lay thickly drifted on the crooked crosses and headstones, on the spears of the Little Gate, on the barren thorns. His soul swooned slowly as he heard the snow falling faintly through the universe and faintly falling like the descent of their last end upon all the living and the dead.
0: Yeah. That's quite the last paragraph. It's masterful. Probably one of the top five last paragraphs in all of literature. Yeah. I can think of few that better it. Gatsby kind of tried it with, and so we were born back on the waves, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. This is way better than that. Still failed. Yeah. Well, it's,
2: it's a long story. It's a novella length, mm-hmm. but it does everything that a good short story tries to do. And then it has this part in the beginning where you're getting to know the characters, getting to know who they are, who we think they are. And then it has the turn at the end and the reveal where he's mad at first because he thinks she wants to go back to see Michael Fury because that song made her think of him. And he, he's frustrated because he wanted to go back <clears throat> and have some fun. And she suddenly is cold. And that quickly moves us into him realizing what a lot of us, I think, have eventually realize is that you just really can't know another person. How unknowable everyone else is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the kind of cheesy feeling we get. I guess it's not a cheesy feeling, but you know, you'll see somebody at Walmart and you realize, you know, they have all these thoughts and aspirations yeah. and stuff. And you might want to disdain them, but. Their life is a life and completely unknowable to you. And they'll move on and they'll have relationships and children and laughter and all this stuff that you'll never see or know. And there's all all over the world, all these lives that are being lived. And mm-hmm. it's a weird thought to have.
1: And all these lives that have been lived. Yeah. There's oh, a word actually. And, uh,
0: There's a French, I think, word for this. It's the feeling. It's the feeling you literally get when you're in the mall or Walmart or something, and you see someone when just when you meet another person, and you realize they have their own story that exists outside, and you get that just weird, and you have completely no access to. Yeah, and you have no access to it. They were uh, born, and they're going to die, and they've and it's what's an not, expressible yeah. thing. And what's beautiful
2: about that cinnamon is that is what literature can do for us. Is it helps you have that empathy and sympathy towards other people. And so he's he's kind of mirroring it here for us mm-hmm. in his relationship to his wife. But unfortunately, as we've seen, Joyce didn't carry that through with everything else. No. So.
1: I guess you don't really, you know, Gabriel lives so much in his in his head, but part of his reveal, his revelation, his epiphany is that he has never loved anybody like Michael Fury, which is right. a great comic book name. That is. <laughs> <laughs> Has ever, I had a professor once named Constance Fury, which is an even better yeah. comic book name, but that he's never loved anyone, including his wife. He never loved a woman like that. And it's is it Generous Tears?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite parts. Generous his, Tears fill Gabriel's eyes. And then I like, his curious eyes rested long upon her face and on her hair. And as he thought of what she must have been then in the first time of her girlish beauty, a strange friendly pity for her entered his soul. He did not like to say even to himself that her face was no longer beautiful, but he knew that it was no longer the face for which Michael Fury had braved death. That's That's a wonderful, just that sentence is like, maybe that's the best way to criticize a story is to write another story. And James Joyce wrote the criticism of the Dubliners in this, because there's all the compassion all the self-knowledge put to good use that we want in the other stories. I mean, there's just a, a really relatable human. I mean, looking at someone who's aged a little bit, looking at someone you love who's gotten older and not wanting to quite acknowledge it, but also acknowledging it, I think everybody's been there kind of a thing. And we don't know what Gabriel does with his epiphany, but it's nice to think that he could learn something about himself. You actually do feel a little bit of hope for this man you know, maybe he'll never love like Michael Fury, but he knows that about himself. And he's being kind and generous with the information. He's feeling sympathy for his wife instead of ultimately resenting her. Yeah. And it's kind of beautiful. And then it resolves into this great poetic last paragraph that just like, how many writers have tried and failed to pull off something like that? Joyce just does it. Effortless. Effortlessly. The other famous story about anecdote about Joyce is the one about like Joyce's friend finds Joyce despondent with his head in his hands. You know, probably throwing back a few whiskeys and, hey, James, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing terrible. Did you write anything today? Yeah, yeah, I wrote seven words. Oh, James, well, that's, that's pretty good for you. Seven words, that's great. But I don't know what order they go in. It's like, that's a famous, I don't know, probably apocryphal, but that's a famous sure, yeah. James Joyce anecdote. So it probably didn't come easy for him, but... He sure knocked it out of the park there. I mean, I love, I love, I love, I love the fact. I love it when a writer takes a risk and gets away with it. That's one of my favorite things.
1: Faintly falling, falling faintly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, what nerve. What nerve. E.B. White and Mr. Strunk would be quite unimpressed by that. I'm I'm sure they loved it, actually. But no writer should ever try anything. Like, his soul swooned slowly tons of alliteration as he heard the snow falling faintly through the universe and faintly falling like the descent of their last end upon all the living and the dead like every bad high school writer writes sentences that are almost like that
2: but and not they're, quite and
0: therefore laughable yeah. and therefore the most ridiculous thing like this sentence was either going to be the most ridiculous stupid sentence ever written or it was going to knock it out of the park and fortunately because it was absolutely perfect it knocked it out of the park if it had been anything less it would have been ridiculous yeah oh James Joyce. Monomore. Monamore What a writer you could have been, Joyce. What you could have been. But you weren't, so. Nope. Hmm.
2: <laughs> Sayonara. <laughs> Fail. You're dead now. Yep. And I'm
0: not even sure it's snowing in Dublin at the moment. Probably not, but, you know, James Joyce is dead. My grandma's dead. Lots of people are dead. Some people are alive. We're all part of one big thing, and yet we can never know each other. And if you want to experience some of the weird sort of transcendent uh, wistfulness of that, then you should read The Dead. It's a good story. You should. Guys, would you give the BSOA, the Book of of Approval, to the Dubliners? No. No. No, me neither. Would you give the BSOA to any particular stories in The Dubliners? The Dead. The Dead. The Dead. Any other stories? One about the creepy old man? Yeah. No? no? No. One about the... Mother, that's nope. Nah. You know, nah, the dead. Arabi, Jake, you want to give the BS away to Airbnb?
1: Uh I don't want to give it a seal of approval, but if you,
0: you want to remember a really awkward time in your life is
1: it, well, and it, it, it's also short. Yep,
0: it is very short. It it's is like quite short, One three short. or four pages yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like that. But I think the dead is worth the trouble. It's 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 a, it's a it's a read. It'll it'll require some mental energy on your part, but
1: if if you want to, if you don't want to read a novella but want to see what joyce can do and move on then you can read araby but you really should just read the
0: dead yeah you can take like uh 90 minutes read the dead yeah. read the dead read araby you'll read everything you need to read by joyce i think we have it on brandon's authority the dead is worth reading yeah the dead might be one of my i don't know maybe that's going too far it's good i don't know we'll talk about it in our best of ofs this when we get to yeah, those yeah, yeah. yeah. the Day was written and produced by Nathan Alverson. It was performed by Jacob Menzel and Brandon Jasneen. Go to Warhorn Media for lots more great content. You can visit us on Twitter, Facebook, whatever you want to do. You can find us on all, all the places. Hey, please leave us a nice review. We're so thankful for our nice reviews. Lauren ARA left us a nice one. Other yeah, people. thank you, Lauren. It was yeah. really sweet. That was really sweet. Yeah, we, we are so encouraged when we see. Five stars, but we're also we're really encouraged by it when people say something nice. Like, I like to hang out with you guys and hear your thoughts and stuff like that. That's really nice, and uh, it helps you know drive the volume of the podcast and enables us to do it for business reasons and stuff it's also good but
1: speaking of enabling us to do it for business reasons if you do appreciate what we do mm-hmm. you can support us at patreon.com forward slash the book for as little as a dollar a month oh, four dollars yeah. a month every little bit really does help if everybody that listened to this podcast gave a dollar a month we'd have a lot of money actually. that's really um,
0: like a million dollars i think a couple, couple million
1: a month a month yeah at least yeah We'd have a couple thousand. Yeah. We'd no. have a couple thousand a month.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, well, come on, people. That's not much. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a dollar. It's just a dollar, dollar, guys. Mm-hmm. Do you want to do Four
1: dollars, ten dollars, ten dollars, and do. get a donor shout out.
0: Donor shout out. Get, get your name. We'll come up with a fun name for you. Man, All it would make of you. Yeah. Would, yeah. That would it, just, how would we do that?
1: <laughs> it, it would make, it would make, uh, this show much easier to do
0: yep we love doing it we're not we're not gonna stop doing it we're not making threats here but make it easier for us help us justify it as a nice business expenditure for our overlords the, you know warhorn media we've got boards and stuff and things you know how the money people are folks just make it easy for everybody hey thanks for listening hey if you want to also if you don't want to do the whole patreon thing because whatever you don't want to do the whole patreon thing you can go to warhornmedia.com click the big old give button on on the right-hand uh, side, you can make a tax-deductible donation to Warhorn Media. That'll go towards lots of fine work that we do, that Jake does, that I do, right. I, and other fine people do, including your beloved literature podcast, the number one p- literature podcast as far as I'm concerned, The Bookening. So, yeah, thanks for listening. See you next week, Brandon. Goodbye, Nathan. See you next week, Jake. Goodbye, Nathan. Bye, everybody. Goodbye to all the living and the dead. <laughs> Bye, living. Bye, Dad. <laughs>